angered by Rasputin's influence on the royal family and disgusted by his alleged sexual affairs, several aristocrats conspired to murder him. Prince Felix Yusupov and several co-conspirators lured him to Yusupov's palace and fed him poison cakes and wine. When he didn't die, Yusupov shot him in the back, but Rasputin got up and attacked Yusupov. After a brief fight, he was shot again and began crawling up the stairs. He managed to run out of the door, screaming he would tell the Tsarina everything. But the conspirators caught him, shot him twice, and began bludgeoning him. They loaded the body into a car, but once again he attacked them from the back seat. They shot him again and threw him into the frozen Neva River. When officials recovered his body, they found evidence suggesting he tried to punch his way through the ice and water and through the ice. And water in his lungs proved he had been alive when pushed into the water. Rasputin had warned the Empress that if he were murdered by a noble, the royal family would perish within the year, and there would be a great bloodshed throughout the country. In 1915, the Tsar traveled to the front line to take personal command of the army. He left Alexandra in charge of Petrograd. She, unfortunately, had no experience in government and constantly appointed and reappointed incompetent ministers. This constant change made for an unstable and inefficient government, which left Russia's soldiers and civilians inadequately supplied. This was particularly dangerous in a wartime. The Tsar's decision to become the army's commander was equally disastrous. He was now personally blamed for all losses and the army's poor performance. Rumors circulated that the Empress was a German spy and influenced him to lose to Germany. The severe winter of 1916-1917 doomed Imperial Russia. Food shortages worsened and famine gripped the cities. The mismanagement and failures of the war turned the soldiers against the Tsar. By 1917, the Tsar, realizing that Russia could not fight much longer, planned a massive spring offensive. But while his railroads carried troops to the front, there was no way to bring food to the cities. By February-March 1917, conditions worsened and more workers struck. Crowds hungry for bread began rioting in Petrograd's streets, and the Tsar ordered the army to restore order. The Duma urged Nicholas to take action, and he responded by dissolving them. On 12 February, March, the soldiers sent to suppress the rioting crowds mutinied and joined the rebellion. They set up a Petrograd Soviet, or council. The Duma declared a provisional government and informed Nicholas that he must abdicate to end the uprising. Nicholas tried to get back to Petrograd by train, but no one would allow his train to pass. He abdicated, ending 300 years of Romanov rule. Nicholas was then allowed to return to Sarskoye Selo, where he and his family were placed under arrest. The provisional government wanted to exile the royal family, but neither the British nor French would take them. In August of 1917, they sent the family to Siberia. Two rival governments sprang up in Petrograd. The first was the Petrograd Soviet, 
representing those fighting in the streets. The second was the Provisional Government, a committee of various liberals afraid of both the revolution and the Soviets. Most of the Provisional Government members were lawyers, doctors, business people, industrialists, bureaucrats, and many landowners. The Provisional Government wanted to establish a constitutional monarchy with leadership entrusted to the educated and propertied elite. The Provisional Government faced a great deal of problems and made many mistakes. The government acted as if conditions were normal, and their biggest mistake was keeping Russia in the war. There was not enough steel to supply both the railroads with rails and the army with artillery shells. Almost two million soldiers deserted, and more were demobilized because there was nothing to feed them. The provisional government also swept away the czar's oppressive restrictiveness. There was to be no discrimination based on religion or nationality. They even ended the death penalty. Russians could now speak and act freely, but this was exactly what the provisional government should not have done. There was no administrative network capable of taking the place of the czarist bureaucracy. By July 1917, it was clear that only brute force could uphold law and order. The Bolsheviks, led by Lenin, were ready to step into this power vacuum. Their solution was a dictatorship of the left, using the Soviets with mass support from the peasants in uniform, factories, and on the land. Revolutionary Bolshevism had a long history. It dated from the early 19th century, when educated Russians began to compare their country to Western Europe. In order to modernize and westernize Russia, they wanted constitutional liberties, such as free speech and political representative, representation. However, the czarist regime drove them underground, and many abandoned their original ideas as too pacifist and tame. By the 1870s, many socialists had evolved into austere and self-denying professional revolutionaries with no moral scruples. Bank robbery, murder, assassination, treachery, and terror were not immoral if it served the revolution. At first, the revolutionaries staked their hopes on Russian peasants. They studied industrial economics and sociology from Karl Marx and believed there was a universal and inevitable progression towards socialism and communism. History, they believed, was on their side, as it was on the side of all proletarians and oppressed people of the world. <clears throat> By 1900, many young Russians, all of them educated and some from privileged families, adopted revolutionary Marxism. One of these was Vladimir Ilyich Ulanov, the son of a teacher and school administrator. Lenin had studied law, but he practiced revolution. He adapted Marxism to existing Russian conditions. He played close attention to the revolutionary potential of the peasantry and the numerous Russian Asians. He believed these two groups could ally themselves with the proletariat to finally overthrow the capitalist. His second contribution was in defining the organization of an underground party capable of surviving the czarist police. For Lenin, this meant a tightly knit, conspiratorial elite of professional revolutionaries with their headquarters 
safely located abroad. His party would also have close ties to the workers and other potential revolutionary elements. To further protect against police infiltration, the party would not permit democracy. Two of Lenin's ablest recruits were Leon Trotsky and Joseph Stalin. Trotsky, Lev Bronstein, was the son of a prosperous Jewish farmer from southern Russia. Stalin, Yosef Zugashvil, was born from Georgia and had dropped out of school to become a revolutionary. All three had been arrested and served lengthy imprisonments in Siberia. On April 18, 1917, Lenin, with German help, arrived in Petrograd from Switzerland. He realized the provisional government's weakness. He promised the crowds peace, bread, and land, and the soldiers, workers, and peasants listened. The peasants were already seizing land and avenging themselves for centuries of oppression. Lenin put Trotsky in charge of a coup. On November 6th and 7th, 1918, the Bolsheviks forced the provisional government to flee. The Bolsheviks quickly organized the government based on a Soviet democracy. The rest of the world, preoccupied with the war, paid little attention. Lenin negotiated a quick peace with Germany. Under the March 1918 Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, Russia lost Finland, Poland, the agriculturally wealthy Ukraine, and the Baltic provinces of Russia to Germany. Lenin didn't care. According to Lenin, the Soviet democracy would end class exploitation and raise the poor and helpless to a level with the wealthiest in the West. However, his government's first priority was to survive. The Bolsheviks' takeover put Nicholas and his family in danger. In 1918, they were moved to Ekaterinburg. Their guards were 75 local factory workers, and the commander was a true Bolshevik. Any request from the family always received the same response. Let him go to hell. He referred to Nicholas as the blood drinker and Alexandra as the German bitch. Life became uncertain, never knowing how long they would remain in the house or whether they might be separated or killed. On July 17, 1918, the Bolsheviks told the family to get up and dress. They then herded them into the cellar. Nicholas carried Alexei, and Alexandra asked for chairs to be brought so she and Alexei could sit. Once the family and their servants were settled, the commander announced their execution by firing squad. Nicholas was the first killed by three shots to the chest. Alexandra watched her husband die, and then they aimed at her. She turned her face away and began to cross herself, but was killed with a single gunshot, which entered her head above the left ear and exited the same spot above her right ear. The girls survived the first volley of shots because they were wearing over three pounds of diamonds and precious gems sewn into their clothing, which provided initial protection. They were repeatedly stabbed with bayonets and then finally shot in the head. Alexei remained sitting in the chair, terrified, before the assassins turned on him and shot him repeatedly. He remained alive even as the killers stabbed him multiple times with bayonets. Nothing worked because he was also protected by a shirt stuffed with precious gems. 
They finally fired two shots into his head, and he fell silent. Civil war now broke out. The whites were members of the old Tsarist elite, intent on returning to Tsarist times and their privileges. The Reds, communists, were committed to keeping what they had. The whites received support from foreign governments who freely intervened. England, France, and the United States, angry at Russia's withdrawal from World War I and frightened of communism, sent troops to northern and southern Russia, as well as Siberia, hoping to overthrow Lenin's regime. The November 1918 Allied victory might have wiped out the communist state, but Lenin had already organized the Communist International, the Comintern, to export Russia's revolution. By the autumn of 1920, the Reds won. The Whites were divided among themselves and discredited by their association with the Tsar's regime. The Reds had greater popular support, the advantage of interior communication, and far superior political skills. In November 1920, the British evacuated the last white forces from the Crimean Peninsula. The Civil War exacted a staggering price. Red and whites alike carried the Tsarist tradition of political violence to a new and higher standard of terror. The entire population also suffered from a famine during 1921 and 1922 that took millions of lives. In 1921, the Communist Party adopted the new economic policy, which gave the government control of finances, industry, and transportation, but allowed the rest of the economy to return to private enterprise. The peasants, after giving part of their crops to the government, were free to sell the rest in open markets. With the resumption of small-scale capitalism, normal life returned. The Communist Party now numbering about 500,000 in 1921, was controlled by a tight core of professional political leaders. Those who did not pull their weight were purged. The top leaders combined a long experience of working with the masses and a fierce patriotic ambition to rescue their country from defeat and backwardness. According to the Russian Communist Party's constitution, it was a democratic body. But under the Civil War's pressure, real power shifted to a smaller and more intimate group, the Politburo. Lenin, Trotsky, and Stalin, with a few others, determined policy, assigned tasks, and appointed key officials. As the party grew, so did the need for centralization and bureaucratic organization. The higher echelon was now controlling the lower. No other political parties were tolerated. Trade unions served the party. Lenin did not shrink from using terror. In November 1917, he organized the Cheka to discover any counter-revolutionary activity. Lenin advocated shooting one out of every ten idlers on the spot. Those not shot found themselves in the Cheka's notorious forced labor camps. The communists also made sure of continued popular support. They held out the hopes for cultural and administrative autonomy among non-Russian minorities, but at the same time, they pleased Russian nationals by forcibly reabsorbing non-Russian national groups who had succeeded from the empire and claimed credit for defending Mother Russia. 
The communist, militant atheist, abolished the Orthodox Church, the Tsar's traditional ally. They simplified the alphabet, changed the calendar to that used in the West, and brought theater and the arts to the masses. They also wiped out by expropriation, discrimination, expulsion, and execution the educated upper class of bureaucrats, landowners, professional people, and industrialists. Their Russia was more than ever a country of backward peasants. Lenin died in January 1924 and was subsequently idolized as the sacred icon of Soviet ideals. Stalin now became Russia's supreme leader.